Okay, here we are for episode two. So uh, it's kind of funny because Colleen and I are sitting down here the Friday after a three-day trip where we went to finish off the recording of the uh, of the podcast. And I have to say, we spent 12 hours a day just meeting amazing people mm-hmm. in the middle of Kananaskis and the freezing cold on the first snowfall, hosting a webinar on podcasting and a, and a ton of stuff. Colleen, how are you holding up over there? I am very tired, <laughs> but I'm also super inspired. We met some really incredible people and... um this episode today, I am very, very excited about. Yeah, I I am really excited about it as well. When we were first planning the episode, we wanted to explore a little known or lesser known renewable energy. When we think renewable energy, we think solar, wind. But we, what we weren't necessarily talking about or taking into account before was biomass and how important it is. But then, Colleen, you ran into some issues when you were putting together the episode. Absolutely. We ended up talking to a company called EcoGrowth Environmental, and they are unreal. So originally, we were just there to talk about biomass and biofuel, but it pretty quickly became much more than that. Because it's important to note that... um... EcoGrowth Environmental took home the Emerald Award last year in the small business category for their work in biomass with the ConocoPhillips Sarmont plant. What was kind of cool is that they have a lot of companies. They have a ton of companies. So this is a story about a group of companies led by the same people who are doing everything they can to reduce not only their carbon footprint, but help other companies do the same thing and make money in the process. And so we are officially renaming this episode, episode two, Trash to Cash. I'm more of an entrepreneur businessman and trying to think of ways to create a a viable business uh, while solving people's problems. Mine and my own first. That's Kim Karen, founder and CEO of EcoGrowth Environmental, a Calgary-based company that uses innovative, sustainable technology to create green solutions to environmental challenges for all sorts of businesses. But Kim also has many other titles under his belt. He is the owner and president of Executive Matt Group of Companies and founder and president of Executive Matt Service, a company that offers large oversized mats, the kind you'd see in hotels and malls, and cleans those mats in a sustainable way. They also offer a wide range of other types of products like paper cups and paper towels, which also follow the same business model. If that wasn't enough, Kim is also the founder and president of CDF Systems, a company that offers commercial and industrial laundry services and has built their own sustainable cleaning system that uses 90% less water than traditional cleaning processes. So. To sum it all up, Kim has found a way to merge the entrepreneurial spirit with environmental stewardship. Google and the internet has been a game changer. I can research uh, till the cows come home. I had no idea K-cups were a problem, like food waste in landfill, until you do a little research and say, you know, this is really bad. And and it was my problem. I was using K-cups. I was, you know, putting uh, food waste in the landfill. You know, I just 
set up to solve my own issues. So I'm not going to put those K-cups in the landfill anymore, and I'm not going to put food waste in the, in the landfill. But I'm not going to stop using them because they're convenient and people use them for a reason. But I'll figure out how to you know, reduce my impact. I was interested in gasification first as actually as... Okay, so gasification is where you, it's a very clean way to burn things. When you, um, when you think of a fireplace, particulate spewing out the chimney and smoke, that's, that's burning. Gasification is a process where you smolder a material, uh, a plant-based or animal-based material, and you actually burn the smoke. And the smoke is very similar to natural gas, um, so it creates a very clean burning environment. The oily towel to clean energy uh, project, uh, that technology works very well, and we use it every day, uh, even today. I'm going to jump in here real quick to explain this particular project. Executive Matt Service won an Emerald Award back in 2012 for their hazardous towel to clean energy project. Basically, this was a service where the company takes oily rags, the kind used by large printing companies, for example, and extract all the chemicals and oils from the rags before putting them in the laundry. They would then turn the chemicals they removed from those rags into energy, which is then used as the fuel source for the company's power plant. So Kim found a way to save the business money using these chemicals and ensuring that these chemicals don't go down the drain and into the water system. Uh, the problem is the customer base, primarily the print industry, is going down every year. So that's great. We have a technology that we pretty well dominate the market. There are still companies that flush all that stuff down the sewer, but uh, we don't. But we wanted a way, looked at a way to grow our business. How can we keep growing that side of the business? And we looked at the paper wipers that garages use and any kind of industrial uh, environment typically uses a paper wiper, wipe up grease and oils and whatnot. So we so, said, well, why don't we expand our offering uh, away from the print or in addition to the print industry? And so we looked at offering that service to uh, various industry. And the paper towel goes through our system just fine. Uh, but the problem is we were ending up with a mountain of waste paper. And uh, so, again, I looked at that as not as a waste, but a, as, a, as a resource. What can we do with that to actually take it out of the landfill and, uh, and do something um, economically viable. That's where the economics come in, I guess. So we uh, looked at gasification. Uh, I bought an outdoor wood boiler just as a first step. It was a downdraft system and uh, worked really well, but it, it wasn't conducive to what we were trying to do. But it got us into the game and we could then start playing and prototyping and understand the technology. And uh, so we built that to the point where you, uh, you saw it today. Uh, it's an automated system that uh, has been tweaked to handle a wide range of woody biomass material, which is how we evolved into paper cups and hand towels and uh, cardboard and now dehydrated food waste. So that's really where we started. And it didn't stop there. Kim's kind of like a mad scientist crossed with a brilliant entrepreneur. Kim's businesses have continuously evolved from basically doing a bunch of experiments, seeing what worked, what didn't, and eventually growing the businesses to where they are today. But that's how the businesses evolve, right? We've, 
unintentionally we found another resource. And, oh, well, what is that? What can that be used for? Oh, well, that could be something totally different. And so that's why you see these businesses keep evolving because they didn't have, you know, we had no idea it was going to be a business until it turned into a business. And said, oh, okay. And, uh, but, and I, this is a saying I have all the time. You throw enough spaghetti against the wall, eventually something's going to stick. And so you're not seeing, you're not seeing all the failures. You're just seeing the things that succeeded. I think the saying has a different word for spaghetti, though. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's another <ass> word. <laughs> but 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 I, I can tell you what the next business is: is this whole K-cup recycling thing. Um, we've been working with Alberta Recycling uh, Council, and we could eliminate K-cups in the landfill tomorrow if we just show a little bit of uh, insight. Every we already have a, a bottle recycling infrastructure set up and all you have to do is throw a deposit on every k-cup take the k-cup back to the uh, back to the bottle depot uh, get your two cents back or five cents whatever it is and every bottle depot could have our our uh, our recycling system and overnight uh, a billion plus k-cups in alberta alone would be diverted and the coffee coming out, the used coffee grinds, as Glenn was saying, could be used for a multitude of different things, from, uh, from wood-like pellets to uh, plant uh, amendment material. So, again, I mean, you, once, you, once you solve one issue, uh, you find the opportunities just, just kind of open up in front of you. It just makes sense to look at these waste streams a little bit more closely. Everybody stepped over it, right? Everybody stepped over to that. Let's just throw it all in landfill. Well, they didn't realize, I didn't realize that it turned to methane in landfill. And that's the education part. That's Glenn Smith, Vice President of EcoGrowth. And to really get to the heart of how innovative EcoGrowth is, I think it's important to share how Glenn and Kim started working together. Before they met, Glenn worked at one of Executive Matt Service's competitors. At the time, both companies focused on industrial cleaning, like those big mats you'd see in malls or hotel lobbies. Another example is textiles or rags used to clean printer presses. So these textiles are covered in a wide range of chemicals and oils. What Glenn noticed is that Executive Matt his employer's competitor, started taking these hazardous materials from them to clean them. So all that material that we were washing in, in our laundry, and I was a sales rep there at the time, um, we had gotten a $10,000 fine from the city of Calgary. And that's why Kim started taking our, our hazardous towels away. And I thought, well, how does that work? What did we do wrong, first of all? And... Um, I found out that we were washing solvents down the drain. And the solvents apparently go into the waste stream and uh, they traced it back to us and they slapped uh, our laundry with a $10,000 fine for washing the solvents down. It killed the bugs, that, the bacteria that eats, eats, eats our poop. <laughs> so what Kim, I found out what Kim was doing environmentally and I said I wanted to make a change. You do get to a point in life, I'm, I'm 52, and is what I'm doing making a difference? I think everybody asks themselves the question. 
is what I'm doing making a difference to the planet? And um, I always, the need was emerging that everybody feels that there's something wrong with the planet. There's, there's fires, there's, you know, the, it's heating up. We have to start doing the right thing. We have to quit poisoning the planet. And we're trying to work with the people that are doing something different to focus the energy there. I, I jumped on board with Kim in 2013, and we we spent mornings, noons, nights, all night long uh, in the plant here, just figuring things out and what to feed our boiler, and going out and seeing clients and being being excited about what the right thing to do with their, their waste stream was. And he taught, you know, don't put organics in landfill don't put food waste in landfill don't put wood cardboard in landfill because when we bury it it turns to methane and that's 24 25 times worse than if you were to just combust it pretty quick glenn moved up the ladder from sales manager of kim's first company executive matt to vice president of a brand new company they built together with the help of some investors called eco growth environmental and since then, the team has continued to find innovative ways of reducing their environmental footprint. We got about 15 or 16 investors that believed in what we did and said, let's build something. So we started building these dehydrators. We started focusing on the wood boiler and using it to, instead of putting pieces of wood and closing it for the day, now we have it automatically fed and everything size reduced up front. And then the feedstocks are not wood. The wood-like fibers come from our dumpsters. And that's where instead of, Kim says, don't cut a tree down to, you know, that's, a, that's what's taking the carbon. That's what's taking it out of the atmosphere. Use the existing waste that's in everybody's dumpster. I don't care what business you are. I don't care which garbage can you see. That's where our biomass comes from. That's where our energy comes from. That's where our new money comes from. And now we're just teaching that to our clients and they get it because carbon taxes put on the planet for put in Canada for a reason to make it painful to use a fossil fuel. Let's just pause here for a second so we can explain what biomass is. Simply, it's organic matter used as fuel. Think stuff that's made in nature, like wood pellets, grass clippings, even food waste. Biomass contains stored chemical energy from the sun and can be burned directly for heat. It serves several purposes, including space heating, hot water heating, and electricity generation. So we look, began looking around the plant. Okay, well, the printer towel, the printer, the paper printer towels, no brainer. We shred that because we didn't want that to go to our dumpster. One, we pay to get rid of it. It costs us money. We have to heat water anyway. So let's use our wood boilers to consume it and heat the laundry water. Great. Now we save the money we would have paid to get haul it away. This laundry here saves about fifty to $60,000 a year in natural gas costs because we don't use a fossil fuel to heat with it. We use a biomass fuel. And that made sense. Right? It's just, it just, it was efficient. Let's do it. And then we looked around the plant. So everything from our cotton rags or cotton kitchen rags get to a point where you can't use them anymore. You can't rent them. So we just, instead of throwing them in the garbage, we rag them out. We, we just shred them. And we use it as energy. So it heats our laundry water. So it made sense to do it. And we just began looking around the plant, just seeing 
what what can we feed this thing? And uh, when food waste, when the city of Calgary was going to mandate that you couldn't put any more organics into landfill, cardboard, paper towel, wood, anything like that, food waste, we said, well, let's build our high-speed composter. So we built a high-speed composter. We learned about compost. We learned that in July and August, bringing back food waste back to this plant, it was it didn't work because it smelled up our trucks and it was unsafe. It was unsanitary. It, uh, it, no, we couldn't do it. So we decided to build these small little dryers to put at our client's location. And we do that now. So we put all these dryers out there to dehydrate the biomass efficiently, do a once a month pickup on it uh, and bring it back here and then put it into our boiler. And then we started meeting all these other guys that uh, have different ideas about what we're making. Our dehydrated finished product to use as a fertilizer. Uh, well, that's that's another use for it. Never thought of that. Um, well, we got a guy that's we got two worm comp, two worm farms that want to feed our dried material to the worms so they can make worm castings. Um, my daughter just paid twenty seven bucks for a kilogram of this stuff. There's a business there, right? <laughs> so um, now our now it's just monetizing our waste stream. The biomass material that we're after or we've focused on is uh, material that's already a waste. So uh, food waste is just one of the waste streams that are compatible with the uh, with our technology. However, we don't advocate wasting food for the sake of creating biomass. That's ridiculous. Uh, we should eliminate food waste as much as we can. And hence our feedstock would, would go down, but that's a good thing. Uh, being wasteful is, is, is not a good economic uh, activity. So uh, we think we fall way down the hierarchy and we're at the end of the line. So we've done everything we can to uh, distribute, you know, uh, uh, waste or not, you know, foods that are still viable. Uh, obviously changing expiry uh, 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 protocols so that we're not throwing out perfectly good food. And, uh, but at the end of the day, there's always going to be uh, uh, trimmings from your salad and your peppers and there's always going to be food waste uh, granted we can have a lot less of it but uh, there's always going to be food waste eco growth environmental won an emerald award in 2019 for their uh, for an example just like this for their work with ConocoPhillips sermon plant EcoGrowth technology turns around 385 kilograms of raw waste at the plant including food organics paper and grease and it turns it into 77 kilograms of biomass every single day. It's then used as part of an industrial process to soak up hydrocarbons at the plant. The folks at Termont, uh, at ConocoPhillips, they, uh, they, uh, they've identified a uh, corporate uh, need to become less, fewer greenhouse gas emissions. So they really want to become more carbon friendly. And uh, again, you look at what's the low-hanging fruit. And the low-hanging fruit is food waste. They have a 700-man camp uh, creating lots of lots of food waste. We know from our uh, our uh, studies, it's typically 80% water. So they're trucking their food waste on a more frequent basis than they really need to, simply because of the odors and the vermin. And you've got 
you know, bear issues and whatnot uh, in their area. So they're trucking this material offsite a long ways. And so it was quite easy to do the economics on, well, if we dehydrate this material on site um, and now it's sterile, it's not going to attract bears and, uh, and whatnot, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, ship it on a more frequent or a less frequent basis to landfill. And the original idea was to use it actually as an absorbent material in one of their other processes. So uh, we had identified another use for it on site. So it wouldn't be transported, but instead it would be used on site uh, and then ultimately transported. Biomass, uh, I think worldwide, we're upwards of around 25 million tons a year. That's the worldwide output of biomass right now. 75% of that comes from Canada. In particular, the two Western provinces in Canada, Alberta and British Columbia. This is where all of our wood pellets are made and get shipped out of here and go to Prince Rupert. They go into container ships. They sail down through the Panama Canal, go to the European countries, and then they raise the green flag that they're, they're green because they're using biomass material as, as the energy source. And since ConocoPhillips is trying to get absorbent material like that to absorb their processes, the cost of biomass for them is going up and up and up and up for sawdust. And so now they, they're they looking for other ways to absorb that material. And uh, they come up with a way to uh, use their, their food waste stream after it's been dehydrated. It's very absorbent. It reabsorbs the moisture quickly uh, and, and they can reuse it for that process. But all their other stuff, like their cardboard waste, just has to be shredded. That could potentially be used as an absorbent. But that's where our focus is, is um, they use it as that because that's their main concern. Ours is a little bit different because we're not in that, in that spectrum, right? Great. And my next question, actually, I want you to answer this, Glenn, because we touched on it a little bit out there. Uh, it's the importance of dehydration in this process. Uh, you had talked about compost a little bit out there and that with the amount of water that's still in in it um do you remember that that part of the conversation can you just dive into that a little bit the importance of dehydration and compost yeah well when we built our first stainless steel dryer or box we didn't know if this was going to work it was just an idea um we had electric heat and uh it was 4.30 in the afternoon and we went to King's Restaurant, literally just down the block. And uh, she gave us her waste for the day. And there was about 200 pounds. It was like uh, war wonton soups and cut up vegetables and, and broth. And there was tin cans in it. There was aluminum foil. There was everything in there. And we thought, well, let's put it in the stainless steel box. So we <laughs> put it in the box, 200 pounds of it. We turned it on and we said, do we go home? Is it going to burn down our building? Right? We didn't know. Right? So, so we said, we're going to stay and babysit this thing all night. We stayed quite long into it. We just watched it heat up, heat up. And, and then it was, and then we just vented it out. And this is before we even, we just vented it right into the plant here. So out of that 200 pounds of wet, moist food, 
we were left with about 40 pounds of dry fiber when we come in in the morning. So the dry fiber was, that was all that was left. And we looked at the dry fiber and we said, okay, 200 and it goes to 40 pounds. It's an 80% reduction in the volume and the weight of the initial food waste. Okay, perfect. So, and we just over time, we, we work with breweries to dehydrate brewery grains. On average, 80% moisture. We started dehydrating human biosolids. On average, after they squeeze it to get most of the moisture out, it's 80%. So the magic number seems to be 80% weight is, is water. So if in theory, if you have 80% weight in water and you take it out like a dryer, you have 80% less to haul and you have 80% less weight to haul. And that's 80% less cost that you incur to do that. So it's, it made sense to us right from the start when we seen that 200 pounds to 40 pounds. And then it stopped the, uh, it stopped the, uh, uh, the process where it's decomposing. Um, it stopped the smell. It could literally sit here for years and years and years without any issue. And there's lots of even options for even like fresh food waste that go to waste. We could just literally turn that into a food powder and that'll stay for years and years and years. And our equipment does the same thing. And, uh, and there's a whole bunch of businesses on its own just for that waste. But we're, we've only focused on the end of the life stuff. So the used paper towel after you've used it. Um, uh, and then all these different waste streams that we've processed, like hotel waste from a buffet, everything's in it, like eggs, dairy, uh, you know, meats, everything. And uh, everything turns into a dry fiber. And it has, and if I were to put a dry fiber and we lit it on fire here at the table, it would start up better because there's natural oils and stuff in typically all these products. So it makes a better fuel source. And that was our initial thought. But now working with guys like Rob Avis from Verge Permaculture, stuff like that, he's saying, no, no, this, use this here. So it's, it, but we're just creating efficiency at how to haul this stuff around. 80% less weight, no smell, sterilized because it's heated and, 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 and we're just learning how to, it's efficient compost. Instead of using it as a compost blend, we sparingly as a fertilizer blend, and it's still doing, it's still having the same effect on the soil. So I think it's, it's, uh, I think you'll see this become more of a normal going forward, and it's just more of an educational piece on our end. And and once people learn how to do that, I think it's, uh, it'll become the normal. So not only are Kim and Glenn diverting food waste from the landfill, but they're also lowering both the cost and environmental impact of transporting this food waste, um, all while creating a relatively new revenue stream. Seems like a win-win for everyone, right? But as Kim explains, there are still some barriers for businesses to take this next step. Uh, I think the biggest barrier right now is um, knowledge. People, you know, you're busy running a restaurant and this is another process and it's it's something that you have to train your staff. 
Um, I showed you a picture of an outdoor enclosure for uh, for the system. Um, and I think eventually everybody will be forced to do something like this. Um, right now, there's there, I don't know how many companies are out there offering a a waste pickup, organic waste pickup that doesn't end up in the landfill in Calgary. A lot of it ends up in the landfill outside of Calgary, uh, which really isn't helping the issue. Uh, but I think that's that's probably the the big thing uh, the, from a restaurant perspective. It um, uh, you know tight margins and uh, to make a capital purchase of this uh, of this nature is uh, is problematic. And we've uh, introduced a rental model for uh, the smaller units, so restaurants could pay a, a small monthly fee, which is typically uh, considerably less than what they're paying their waste hauler. So that's a no-brainer. So we're we're trying to identify the objections and and obviously fine-tune the business model around that. So when we sat down for this interview, we were really thinking that we were only going to be talking about biomass, but it went way deeper than we realized from their work with Executive Matt to uh, their work with EcoGrowth to uh, we covered a wide gamut. So I can easily say that I was really excited to ask our next question. What on earth can we do? Here is what Kim and Glenn had to say. I think the first the first aspect to, to being better is is exactly what we're doing. We're teaching the young to uh, you know the uh, the environmental impact of the things we're doing, and so when they go home, uh, they can point out, oh, by the way, why are you why are we doing this? That's recyclable, yada yada, and so that's that's an important first step, and um, and then the other one is you know we need to focus on the low hanging fruit and. Do the easy ones first because they're easy, and uh, and I think um, I think there are easy solutions in front of us, like the cake up thing. You can uh, say, well, you shouldn't have cake ups. Well, and I agree. However, that market grows every year, and so people know it's bad, yet they do it anyways. So the only way to resolve that is to come up with a solution on the back end, like what we're working on. So yes, keep doing your nasty thing, but we're going to take the environmental impact out of it and we'll make it a green solution at the end. And I think part of that's going to involve some, um, some legislation and uh, you know, a willingness to, to create a disincentive uh, to not, uh, not recycle. But again, you know, with recycling, you hear, you've heard stories that glass is accumulating because we can't really cost-effectively um, uh, recycle it. And same with plastics. Now that China is no longer accepting our mountains of plastic, what do we do with it? And I think uh, we're at the infancy of changing plastics to plant-based plastics, which then become compatible with the types of things we're doing. Um, or you know, uh, find markets internally for uh, like our friends in Lethbridge uh, to extrude waste plastics into usable products. Um, so that, you know, that it's going to require some encouragement from not only government, but uh, consumers as well. People are creatures of habit. 
and they go to, uh, you take a building and they take the waste out and they put it at their dumpster point and they don't think of it. They think the right thing's being done. Question it. Is it? Question it like we have. Is that the right thing to do with it? Are they really taking it to a facility that properly recycle it? Plastics, food waste, what was the stat we heard? Only about eight, seven, eight percent of whatever we put in any bin actually gets recycled. I use this analogy all the time. Um, people are trying to do the right thing sometimes, but don't understand the whole process. And the analogy or the uh, example is I was uh, getting a sandwich uh, from one of the kiosks at the, the mall here across the street. And it came in a beautiful bagasse compostable container. And I thought, my God, finally, somebody is taking this step. And that obviously was costing that uh, organization a lot more money to provide that material. So I finished my sandwich and I went back up to the counter and said, you know, I finished my sandwich and, you know, where shall I put this container? And they looked at me funny, well, just throw it in the garbage. I said, well, okay, you got the first part of the memo. The second part of the memo is you can't bury it with the rest of the trash in landfill. It has to be diverted. So you've already created the first step. And in their mind, and granted, it was a counter person who probably wasn't educated, but they should have known that that's, if you're going to do that, you have to follow through. And there's got to be something else in place after the fact. You know, please place this, you know, here. And uh, the fact that they didn't do that was very disappointing because it, they were actually creating more landfill methane than if they would put a piece of plastic in there. Landfills have to go away sooner or later. That's just a resource. It's trash to cash now. It's Once people realize it, people inherently want to do the right thing. I think when people see, they, they feel good when they put it into a bin and they don't want to think much further past that. I think it's stopping to do that. And there's people out there creating technology that uh, even at the the garbage can stage, uh, that'll look at the garbage in your hand and say, you know, it goes into this one, this one, this one. <laughs> and and it, it, you have to really, you got about a two-second thought process. Like any, any garbage bin in a mall, any, it's always wrong right and it's trying to make it as easy as possible for the consumer to do so but i also think that there's people like yourselves out there that are really conscious of that and uh, take another look at it look a little deeper into it see where it's actually going um, because it isn't going where you think it's going there's a reason why i see kim every monday or whatever bringing in his his little countertop food bin and he dumps it into our dehydrator because he knows where it's going. There's a reason why he brings his plastic waste here because he knows where it's going. Question that. And because we got to quit poisoning ourselves, we got to, and we got to get more efficient. So Colleen, we covered a lot of ground in this episode and I'm leaving very inspired, but I'm so curious to know, uh, they gave us some great advice there. What are you going to do in your own life? 
So I think what Glenn and Kim chatted about at the end about taking a bit of time to figure out where to throw away your trash was probably the biggest takeaway for me. I always thought when I put something in the recycling or the trash that it immediately went away and it was being recycled and the best thing was happening to that piece of garbage. I am the worst at that. I am the worst at that. (laughs) Totally. And it actually just recently happened with you and I, because I was about to throw something in the trash and you were the one who said, actually, I think that goes into this other bin. So I think for me, it's just being mindful and taking even another 20 seconds to making sure I'm throwing something out in the proper fashion so that it can be diverted from the landfill. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I'm definitely, uh, uh, it was so funny when we were doing the interview, when Kim landed on that last point there, where he was sharing the example of the compostable container and um, that it didn't go to the right place. I have to be honest that until he had said that, I was the person who was putting that compostable container into the garbage and thinking that I was doing the right thing. And I really like what you said about mindfulness, because I think that that, that's really becoming a theme that I'm seeing across uh, not only this season, but the last season as well, is just the importance of taking that second to, before you do anything, whether it's hop in your car, eat a meal, put garbage in a, in a receptacle, it's that moment to stop and think about what you're doing and then take, and then making that choice and also making sure that you're, educa- uh, that you're educating yourself to know what the right choice is. Totally. And... Lastly, just I think for and I know for me particular is just to be be gentle on yourself in that process. It takes, you know, education takes time. And as long as you're stopping to think, maybe you don't always make the right choice or uh, maybe you still are throwing something out that you shouldn't be throwing out. And it's just I think it's that ongoing process. And I'm really confident that eventual that soon um we'll be at a good spot yeah the other thing that i really loved about this episode is that um it took me right back to our very first episode and if you haven't listened to that episode yet we sat down with georgie highland from uh, spud.ca to talk about food waste and the theme of composting came up again and i i think that you know composting just seems like that really easy uh, i don't know it's not easy to do but it, it seems like such a an impactful thing to do when it comes to the environment. Mm-hmm. Totally. Composting and sorting out your garbage, I think would be like the two biggest things that everyday people can do. Okay. I think that's a wrap. What on Earth Can We Do is presented by the Alberta Emerald Foundation, a non-for-profit charity that showcases and inspires our province's environmental achievements. The guests are Emerald Award recipients, Nominations for the 30th Annual Emerald Awards open on November 2nd, 2020 and close February 12th, 2021 at emeraldfoundation.ca. We would like to thank our sponsors, ABCRC, the Alberta Real Estate Foundation, the City of Edmonton, the City of Calgary, the Government of Alberta, and Syncrude Canada Limited. To learn more about our programs or to make a donation, please visit emeraldfoundation.ca. On the next episode of What on Earth Can We Do? Colleen and Gregory take a hike. We meet at the intersection of art and environmentalism. And we learn what on earth we can do to be more collaborative in saving the planet. <laughs>